What's up, good citizens of Crip Nation? I'm so glad that you are joining us this morning, this noon, this night. Uh, wherever you guys are in the world, just know that you're in the right place. And Somewhere Pizza between Mike, time and space. <laughs> yeah, Pizza Mike, go ahead and tell these good folk why they're in the right place. Oh, because you're here with Crypto 101, and today Crypto 101 has the amazing Lou Kerner with us. Lou, welcome to the show. Great to be here, guys. Love it. It's going to be super fun. We got a great episode planned. Um, I mean, you were previously involved with some of the biggest venture capital firms in the space. You were working on Wall Street. Um, you got such wide, uh, you know, depth and breadth of understanding of the you know crypto space as well as the finance space. So we're going to dive into all that. But before we do, give us the 101 on Lou Kerner. Who are you and how'd you come into the crypto world? Sure. Uh, well, real quick, uh, for the first part of my career, I was a Wall Street analyst, last four years at Goldman Sachs. I then ran a couple digital companies, including the top-level domain.tv and the social network Bolt, which was the largest social network in the world before MySpace. Uh, I angel invested for a number of years before starting a small VC in uh, 2012. Uh, after a couple of years, I became a partner at a firm called Flight Ventures. Uh, we did about 10% of everything on AngelList was uh, one of our deals. Uh, and I ran the Israel Founders Syndicate for Flight, uh, investing in companies founded by Israelis wherever they lived. And that was awesome. And I saw the, you know, I joked that I'd gone down the crypto rabbit hole long enough in 2013, 2014 uh, that Wall Street Journal wrote a story on Bitcoin quoting me as Wall Street's Bitcoin expert. But as I say, you know, I looked at the light, looked at the light, but I did not see it. And it wasn't until <laughs> June 29th, 2017 that I saw the crypto light. Um, and I've been crypto 24-7 ever since. That's really fascinating. So what are your ears on the ground back in the traditional finance world saying about crypto these days? Is it still being laughed at or how are they treating it? I, yeah. I imagine like all the all your buddies over at your old trading desk or whatever, uh, they still laugh at it or they they think it's a real thing. What's their deal? I mean, I think they're largely laughing at it. I think, you know, like most people, A, they don't understand it. Um, you know, I think it's really funny that, you know, that there are obviously a lot of naysayers, but not one of them ever points out. I mean, there are a lot of negative things you can say about Bitcoin if you really understand Bitcoin. But the naysayers never say any of those things because they don't really understand it. Um, you know, I think there was uh, more motivation for them to understand it when Bitcoin was twenty thousand. Now that it's eight thousand, they can see. You know, they they feel like they were right not to spend any time to understand it. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, what what do you think? Um, I mean, DeFi. So we, we we talk about DeFi a lot, decentralized finance, and what's kind of your vision for how all this is going to progress and you know, there's one side of the the camp that maybe thinks that DeFi is going to, you know, in the next 10 years, re-architect all the traditional financial structures that are currently in place, right? Where you're going to have no longer, you know, middlemen uh, and, you know, but for uh, exchange settlement and brokers and all this stuff, it's going to be all peer-to-peer. -peer. And then kind of the other camp is that there's just going to be an alternative system, but the traditional structures will still be in place. So, just kind of interested just off the bat to hear what your opinion would be. Sure. So I'm a big believer in Amari's law. He was a professor at Stanford in the seventies when he coined it. And Amari's law is the fact that the impact of all great technology like crypto is overestimated in the short run and to underestimate in the long run. 
So, yeah, people get really excited. Uh, and then when it's not huge overnight, people say, oh, it's not a thing. And I think to some degree, that's where we are. And, you know, and I think whether it's five years or 10 years or 20 years, the impact of this technology is going to be far greater than anybody thinks. But I also think that, that what it ends up being is also different than what anybody thinks it's going to be. And, you know, generally things don't totally, re- you know, new things generally don't totally replace old things. My guess is, is that, you know, what you'll see is an emergence of a new way of doing things, a new asset class similar to, you know, 40 years ago, there weren't any junk bonds. And then Michael Milken created it and every other bank on Wall Street said it was trash and garbage and they would never do it. And now 40 years later, it's the exact same thing, traded the exact same way, traded the exact same places as everything else. And I believe that's where crypto is going. So what can the average person do to change their financial fate today? I mean, you know exactly how all the systems work. Is there any really simple things that the average consumer can really do to change their life without you know, getting a brand new job or uprooting their house and moving? Sure. Look, I'm, I'm a big believer in a lot of the very trite sayings. You know, I, what Pomp says about get off zero, I'm a big believer in that. You know, the idea is even if you don't understand it, um, you know, the way to understand it is to start investing and start reading and start understanding what it is. And, you know, I believe in science or something called portfolio science. And it would tell you just to, you know, buy a little bit, you know, every period of time, whether it's every day, week, month, um, such that you cost average over time. And, this, you know, depending on how, you know, risk uh, averse or risk seeking you are, you know, you should only put a percentage of your assets in crypto. You shouldn't put 100 percent in it. Uh, I know Anthony Pompliano talks about like half his assets being in crypto. And that's, you know, that's very, very aggressive. Yeah. I think if you put 10% of your assets in crypto, you know, that's, that's on, on the high end of what I would suggest for most people, given the volatility and still given the, you know, significant risk. But I'm in Bitcoin because I think it's, it's the world's most amazing asymmetric bet. In other words, of course, you could lose 100% of your bet. But, you know, what other opportunities do most people have to get a 10x or 20x or 100x? like you have the opportunity of doing with Bitcoin. 100%. And you know, I think a lot of us here probably listening, you know, maybe went a little overboard on that 10% allocation. Yeah. <laughs> I think you you're know, missing a zero there, Lou. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I get it if some people are 20 or, or 30%. You know, it all depends, I think, where you are in life. Well, yeah, I've got three kids. I've got a lot of college to pay for. <laughs> So yeah, you, you can't afford a 99% drawdown exactly, in your portfolio. Exactly. Hey, sorry about the not being able to go to college, but you know, I, I really thought Bitcoin was going to be a thing. <laughs> be like the worst father in America. <laughs> I love it. Lou, tell us a little bit more about this asymmetry that you're talking about. What does an asymmetric bet mean? And are there any other examples in history? Um, look, you know, I, I think... We all see, you know, I, I was an equity analyst on, on Wall Street. And one of the first lessons that I learned when I got there in 1994 was, oh, my God, the market is really efficient. And, you know, that's why in traditional finance, you know, what we've seen is a growth of ETFs, you know, which, you know, enable people to get very diversified portfolios at very low cost. And that has been the smartest way for 99.9% of investors to play 
uh, the investing game, whether it's in equities or real estate or bonds, is through ETFs, through minimizing the cost and getting a diversified portfolio. But myself, you know, as an equity analyst, my job was was to give investors good ideas. And I really felt that if I came up with one really good idea where I saw something that other people didn't see, if that happened once a year, that was a really good year. If I saw an asymmetric bet, in other words, I saw a bet where I thought that the upside was you know significantly greater than the downside, uh, you know, and you know, given the risks involved. And so, kind of my first asymmetric bet that I saw was America Online. Uh, I was the first analyst at a large. Uh, investment bank to pick up coverage of America Online in 1996, and that's AOL, right? Yes, exactly. Um, and that you know that had you know over the subsequent four years, you know, more than 100x uh, on that wow. investment. It doesn't come along very often. I think that that you can see something that most other people don't because markets are really efficient. You know, so you know now I feel like I come up with a good idea once every three or four years, <laughs> and so. Uh, uh, my hope is, is that crypto is the last good idea that actually I'm going to execute on because I think this is the biggest thing in the history of humanity and I have absolutely no interest in moving over to any other shiny objects. Holy crap. I mean, there's just so much to unpack in that, that last two minutes. Uh, where do I want to start? I guess the first question I'll, I'll just unpack. I want to talk about efficient versus inefficient markets. And I want to also talk about what it was that you saw in AOL that made you so bullish and see if there's anything uh, similar, any, you know, flat, uh, hallmarks that are similar in uh, crypto. But, and then I also want to talk about, you know, why you think crypto is the biggest thing in the world. So there's three things there, but let's just start with inefficient versus efficient markets. Uh, unpack that for us. Sure. So look, it, the, the truth is, is, you know, information is, you know, more available today than ever. And, you know, your investment in these companies is based on the information. So everybody has the same information. It's a question of what they do with it. And, you know, I think once in a while you're able to look at something, you know, when I saw AOL in, in 96, you know, I had come from the media space. Most people who were covering AOL were coming from the technology and, you know, in media, you know, th- there's a very simple truism and that's that time equals money. So the more of people's time that you have, the more of the advertising dollars you can get because advertisers want, you know, want to engage with people. Um, so, you know, that was you know, my simple belief in AOL that they would get more and more time. You know, the revenue that they were getting from subscriptions was amazing. And I felt that they over time would have an even larger uh, advertising business. And, you know, fast forward, uh, in, you know, uh, the second company I ran, I mentioned, was the largest social network in the world, Bolt. And I did eight acquisitions while I was there. And I was actually the first person to call Mark Zuckerberg and offer to buy Facebook about a month after he launched it at Harvard. And uh, fast forward, I, I didn't buy it then, but I did buy some in late 2009 in a secondary transaction because, you know, I ran the numbers on Facebook. It was trading actively at $16 billion. And I really believed at the time it was worth $50 billion. I'd never seen anything mispriced like that. And uh, uh, so I wrote a research report. You can actually find it. It's still up on Tumblr that I published in March of 2010. Wow. And my 2014 revenue estimate was off by 1%. And I didn't even Whoa. talk to them, But I just extrapolated the amount of the internet time that they had and were growing at. 
Um, you know, and I estimated that, you know, they'd have 20% of all internet time in 2014 and the internet advertising market would be a hundred billion and they'd have $20 billion in revenue. And they had almost exactly, you know, that amount of revenue. So you don't have to get that complicated. You know, I think the easiest way to, to see something that other people don't is to have more of a macro view than, than really digging down into the weeds. Amazing. I love that. That's I can't one percent. What are the odds? Like that's such critical analysis right there. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. You know, the odds of getting that close are very, very low. But yeah, you know, I tell the story to show more that you know we spend a lot of time in the weeds that I, I think is not well spent. No, I love it. Yeah, let's let's zoom back out then. Um, you know, you said something very cool that you think crypto is the biggest thing to happen to humanity. And so a lot of people, you know, because I, I think a lot, you know, I think very similarly to that as do a lot of people in the space, but maybe for, you know, the moms and the grandmas of the world, my mom and my grandma who listen to this show, sometimes are like, okay, uh, you know, how is this going to be bigger than the internet? You keep saying it's going to be bigger than the internet. Um, and I'm like, well, think about, you know, what the internet did to information, how you could send anything across the world instantly. Now that's going to happen to value and to money and that you could now unlock, you know, the true potential of the internet. And so that's kind of what I like to think about. But, you know, what do you think about when you think that, you know, the crypto is going to be bigger than anything in the world? Sure. Well, first, you know, I think it's important to uh, even define what crypto is, because you know, I think one of the struggles of a new industry like this is, you know, we all use the same words, but oftentimes they mean different things to different people. So first, when I say crypto, what I'm referring to is a series of technologies, you know, starting with blockchain, obviously, but, you know, including obviously cryptocurrency, smart contracts and other technologies that I think are very fundamental, like zero knowledge proof. And I think in combination, these technologies are are really a new computing platform similar to how the internet was a new computing platform. And because every new computing platform goes on top of all the existing computing platforms, I think by definition, they're bigger because the economy continues to grow and the new things encompass everything that the old things did plus everything that's new. So, you know, in, in my mind, money, you know, when, when I use the word cryptocurrency too, you know, that's another very broad term. Uh, to a lot of people, that means money, and I think some cryptocurrency is money. Uh, you know, Monero's trying to be money, Bitcoin's trying to be money. You know, there's a small uh, a set of cryptocurrencies that are trying to be money, but I think the vast majority of cryptocurrencies are much more akin to frequent flyer miles. They're an incentivization mechanism uh, to get the community members to do what uh, you know to, to do things that are beneficial for the community. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of community, that's something that you really specialize in, at least as much as finance. Right now, of all the things you could do in the world, you decided to start something called Crypto Oracle. And your company's mission is to help build and grow and engage the decentralized community. So can you talk a little bit about what is Crypto Oracle and what is a decentralized community? Sure. Um, well, first, uh, Crypto Oracle was founded in November of 2017 to uh, do $100 million uh, security token-based venture capital fund to invest in crypto companies. Um, so, yeah, obviously, that was you know, very close to the peak 
<laughs> of, of the market. Uh, we actually raised a couple million dollars in January of 2018 just to make a few investments to show we could get the best deals, which we did. Um, but most of the money was to be spent solving some you know, very significant problems with security tokens, both legal and technical. Unfortunately, while we spent the money, we did not solve the problems. You know, the problems still exist today. They're, they're, they're pretty significant. They're being solved, but it, you know, it, it's just taking a little more time than anybody thought. But interestingly, while we were doing that, uh, we also started something called Crypto Mondays, uh, which is a meetup that we started here in New York on January 8th, 2018, the peak market cap day. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recorded. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Pay for uh, all of crypto. <laughs> uh, it's never been as high as it was on uh, January 8th, 2018. Anyways, we had 300 people at the first one, 350 at the second Crypto Monday in New York. And we decided then to bring Crypto Monday around the world. Los Angeles was the second city that started in uh, uh, later in January. Last month, I was in Singapore for the opening of Crypto Monday Singapore, which was the 53rd Crypto Monday city. And we really believe that the biggest difference between crypto and everything that came before it is community. 
And, you know, if we think about, you know, these new technologies, you know, in my view, they are undoubtedly going to have a massive, massive impact. The two questions that are, are to be answered first is when, and nobody knows the answer to that. And the second is who's going to capture the value? You know, is it going to be what I call FAMGA, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon, who have captured more than 60% of all tech value over the last five years? Or is it going to be guys like you and me, guys in the crypto you know, uh, ecosystem today? And I believe the main advantage that we have over the massive, massive, massive advantages of FAMGA is community. So I'm spending, you know, we're spending a lot of our time at Crypto Oracle uh, helping to build the crypto community, helping to move forward things like token economics and governance and consensus, you know, things that we need to figure out if we're really going to optimize for community. Yeah, absolutely. And community really offers the advantage to have strength in numbers. You know, one of my favorite memes on the internet is a picture of a politician standing on a podium at the end of a plank hanging off the edge of a cliff. And the entire crowd that's listening to him is standing on the other end of the plank keeping him alive and afloat. But power is a two-way street. Someone has to tell you, I'm in charge, and everyone else has to admit, okay, this guy's in charge. Otherwise, it doesn't work. But that's the value of a community is they're the ones that are really, really in charge. So as far as strength of numbers on the internet, what can that strength really, really do? Well, again, let's, let's define community. So I define community as an ecosystem where everybody gets more out of it than they put in. And that sounds kind of magical, right? How can everybody get more out of something than they put in? You know, we, we think of most things as being zero-sum games, where, you know, if I get something, it comes out of somebody else's hide. But, you know, again, thinking about community at the macro level, yeah, I really think that the size that a community can become is very correlated to the delta between how much it costs the community to create what the community values and how much the community members value that. And so the bigger that delta is, you know, and and so, you know, in Bitcoin's case, right, Bitcoin creates, you know, Bitcoins for the community, right? The miners who provide the hashing power get rewarded with a, a, a Bitcoin. And, you know, today, you know, the, the delta between how much it costs to, you know, the miners to produce that Bitcoin and the value of the Bitcoin, actually, the delta is not that great. And sometimes it's actually even negative, um, which I think is, you know, is part of the problem for the Bitcoin community, you know, to, to some degree today. If you think of the biggest communities in the world, you know what the biggest communities in the world are? What are they? They're religions. Why? Because it costs zero to produce faith, but people value faith incredibly, incredibly highly, some people. And I don't mean that, you know, in any way in a pejorative sense on religion. It's just an interesting way to think about community. And so if you think about the tools that we have today, you know, I actually think that most of the cryptocurrency, you know, most of the value that we give to community members over time will not be in cash or cash-like things like Bitcoin, but will be in things that, that don't cost anything to produce, like faith. And you say, well, what else is there but faith that people value that doesn't cost anything to produce? Turns out that there's actually a very long list of, of things that meet that criteria. The most obvious one, you know, and, and again, I, you know, I know this from running Bolt, 
you know, we had 23 million kids uh, at our peak and we could get a couple million of them to do anything we wanted for a badge that would scroll around their profile conferring status in the community. If you really care about your community and you're all in on your community, then you want status in that community and you'll do a lot of things to help the community to attain that status. You know, and I think that there are lots of other things, too, that meet that criteria, including NFTs. So we're really high on NFTs because we think you know, these cost zero to produce, but we're seeing NFTs that are selling for more than $100,000. So we think you know, these, those are going to be like some of the tools that are used to incentivize communities to uh, uh, community members to provide value to the community. And that leads into my next question is I was just really – I was literally up last night thinking – if there was one question I could ask of Lou, what would it really be? What do people really, really want to know that you might be able to answer? And you just started to is what causes people to take action? How do you motivate someone who's interested, who wants to be a part of it to actually get up and take the time and effort to do something? Yeah, I look, that's the key question. I think that's what all of us in, in crypto are trying to solve for. I, I believe that people act in their own self-interest. And so, you know, people want what they want. And I think the easiest way to, to reach mass people is to give people what they already want. Um, you know, the, the, the hard thing is, is nobody knows that they want Bitcoin, right? They don't really want Bitcoin, but, but what do they want? Um, and how do you help them understand that they can get that through Bitcoin? And, you know, I don't think anybody has the answer to that yet. Uh, for me, like, you know, at a high level, you know, what I love about Bitcoin for me is I just want to know what the rules are. If you tell me what the rules are, I'm very confident I'm going to be OK. But the problem is we live in a world where they don't tell you what the rules are or if they do tell you what the rules are, they lie to you. Or if they do tell you what the rules are and they don't lie to you, then they change the rules on a whim because they can, because they're solving for them. They're not solving for me or the community. And, and now we can be a part of something where we know what the rules are and the rules aren't going to change unless the community decides to. And by the way, if the community decides to, and I don't like what the community decides, I can fork it. Right. And just to unpack that even a little a little further, I mean, the rules that you're talking about, I mean, you know, some people aren't necessarily thinking with, you know, one of the main reasons and main value props of Bitcoin is its hard-coded algorithmic monetary policy, meaning everything's predictable. So you could actually make uh, calculable and sound financial projections because you know that, you know, one Bitcoin is always going to be worth one Bitcoin. Uh, but in the case of the dollar, you have a very high fluctuating, you know, interest rate and the monetary, uh, you know, the monetary base could be expanded overnight by, you know, a percentage point. And so there's all these factors that can throw um, any sort of, you know, logical corporation or, you know, investment firm, uh, throw them for a loop with the, at the whim of the Fed or this, you know, the FOMC or any of that kind of stuff. So, so I, I love what you put out there about, you know, how communities are built on trust and faith. And right now, you know, Bitcoin has a foundation, whereas the current monetary policy of, you know, fiat currencies are built on shifting sands. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, but uh, I mean, undoubtedly, and you see that and I see that the problem is, um, the 
most people don't see it. And most people don't see it because to, to them, we sound like Chicken Little, right? <laughs> they, they only know one world, a world in which we're dominated by the U.S. dollar and, and the U.S. dollar. And, you know, w- one of the super interesting things, if you've looked at all uh, at behavioral uh, uh, economics, which really helps us understand how we behave and why we behave like we behave, we actually are remarkably illogical in many, many, many ways. We, you know, uh, I, I actually, the economics I learned was that you humans acted rationally, therefore X, Y, Z. But, you know, the behavioral economics, you know, was really led by actually a couple of Israelis, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. And they did these amazing studies. And they showed that, you know, w- one of the major ways we're illogical is that we take very small samples and extrapolate very great meaning. And so I actually believe our entire lives are incredibly small samples. I think if you talk to a gnat that lives for one day on, you know, and you ask him halfway through his day, what his day is like, he would say, oh my God, I've seen all these black swans, which are things that he's never seen before in his life. Right. Um, And you laugh and you go, well, he only lives half a day. Of course, he's going to see a bunch of black swans. Everything to a person who lives, you know, to a thing that lives one day has never been seen before. I actually think as humans, we live for a remarkably short period of time. And we call these things black swans that actually happen all the time. But we don't think that they ever happen because we've never seen them. And one of the things that no American has seen is the collapse of their currency, when in fact, every currency collapses by definition. That is the trajectory of every currency. It's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. But very few Americans think like that. And so I think of, you know, uh, now we could educate Americans about that. I think that's a long slog. Do you have a friend who's interested in getting into cryptocurrency, but they don't know where to start building their portfolio? Well, we have the answer. It's called Copy Trader by eToro. With Copy Trader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders, just like myself or Bryce or Kevin, at the exact price point and in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply just sign up and copy our trades. Any profits that we make, you do too. Proportional to your investment, of course. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees all in one easy-to-use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Join now at eToro.com slash crypto 101. Thank you. I have one more question before we wrap up uh, in regards to that. Like, you know, like you said, you know, a lot of Americans haven't seen the dollar collapse. But when you were an analyst at Goldman and, and when you analyze the markets today, is there some type of risk that you guys price in, like an actual, you know, quantifiable risk that you price in about hyperinflation for the American dollar? You know, look, I, I would say um, no. You know, a, as analysts, you're not thinking about end of the world scenarios. That's, you know, right. That I mean, that's what happened in 2008, right? Nobody had ever seen the mortgage markets implode like it did. So everybody thought it couldn't happen because they had never seen it before. That that kind of proves the whole point. You know, and, and one of the, there was a, a great movie made about the, the mortgage meltdown, The Big Short. Did you guys see it? One of my favorites. Yeah, it's really an amazing movie. Uh, and I don't know if you remember, but it, it's, it's funny how things hit, hit you in a certain way. But the very opening moment of that movie, uh, I, I assume uh, the, you, you, you don't remember what it was. Um, the very opening movie. I 
I don't actually. Yeah, I can't harken back. So the very opening moment of the movie was a quote by Mark Twain. History rhymes, quote, but or history often rhymes but never repeats. No, no, that that quote is yeah, <laughs> itself, it. but it, <laughs> that's that quote. But that wasn't the quote. The quote that was at the beginning of the movie, which I had never heard before, but now which you know I I literally see it almost every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. But the quote that was at the beginning of the movie that I thought was incredibly profound was, it's not what you don't know that hurts you. It's what you know for sure that isn't so that kills you. Whoa. That's That's hardcore. So with, with all that in mind, can you confidently name five crypto projects that will still be here in five years? What are you betting long term on? You know, I look, I, I think that's a, that's a great question. I am currently only invested in two things, you know, that uh, I'm, I'm an advisor. So, you know, I have coins and other projects that I think have, you know, are, are super interesting. Um, the two projects, you know, are Bitcoin, obviously, and Tezos. You know, again, just continuing along with community. Um, you know, I both fervently believe in Tezos's mission. You know, it's a very governance-focused protocol. Um, I think it has the most functional governance in all of crypto. And I, outside of Bitcoin and Ethereum, it has, I think, the best community. I mean, it's really a vibrant, growing uh, uh, community of people, you know, who really believe in the, in the mission of, of Tezos. And I think it's, um, you know, uh, a, just a super interesting project that's, you know, been around for a few years. So, you know, not that it's scaled and I wouldn't say it's been battle tested, but it's been around longer than most. That's awesome. All right. So the very last question is the same question we like to ask everyone that comes on. If this is the first crypto podcast someone heard that was trying to get into the space, what would you want them to know? Look, this is the future and you've got to convince yourself of that. Um, and I think the easiest way to do is educate yourself. I think crypto is hard to teach. I, I don't know how to teach it. What I try and do is incentivize people to learn, to say that this has the greatest return on investment of any way that you could spend your time. So it's not easy. It might take a couple of weeks or even a couple months, you know, of an hour to a day, whatever, to actually get it for, for, for a lot of people. But the ROI on that time is, uh, is going to be extremely high. And I put out a newsletter every couple of weeks. The last thing I put in the newsletter is the link saying, if you want to get smart on crypto, click here and follow the top 50 uh, uh, bloggers on crypto on Medium. And every day you'll get an email with some crypto lessons. And if you, you know, take some time and read, you know, some of those people will speak to you. And if you read them, you know, when they publish and every day you try and learn a thing, you know, again, in a month, two months, you know, you'll be a crypto savant. And, and that is always the second most clicked on thing in, um, in my newsletters, the top, the top link and the bottom line. Lou, I love it. How, how do we subscribe to the newsletter? And uh, could we follow you on Twitter? What's your handle? Sure. Uh, the great thing is you want to have your kid, you want to give your kids unusual names so they can get it uh, in social media. So Lou Kerner, uh, I'm the only one, L-O-U-K-E-R-N-E-R, you know, everywhere, whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn. And you want to get my newsletter, you can sign up, just go to Medium, put in Lou Kerner. And at the bottom of uh, most of my Medium posts is a box where you can uh, sign up for my newsletter. Amazing. Lou, I had a lot of fun, man. I learned a lot. And uh, it's always good connecting. Hopefully we get to uh, have a dinner here again pretty soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. That was a fun night. Awesome. Crip Nation, we love you guys. Thanks for joining. Thanks, guys. Take care. 
<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.